0: Welcome to 3rd Waves. 3rd is an intersectional publication celebrating culture, heritage and diversity. And on 3rd Waves, we will do the same.
1: I am Rona, stylist, creative director and founder of 3rd.
2: I'm Daniela. I'm a writer, musician and producer at 3rd.
0: And I'm Tribe, DJ, radio host and music editor at 3rd.
1: On this episode of Third Ways, as the saying goes, love is in the air, and we're discussing love and relationships. We will talk about what love is, from drawing an understanding of self-love, to questioning the ways we treat romantic and platonic relationships, and looking at models of love that do not conform to heteronormative frameworks like polyamory and open relationships. Joining us on this episode is Lucine Tora and Jared Filippo of Pinky Promise a collective of ethical hedonists who seek to create sensual theatrical experiences for pleasure seekers to connect, express and dance. Self-described as a pleasure seekers playground, Pinky Promise aims to create beautiful, queer, friendly spaces and shows in which individuals are free to follow their fantasies, express themselves, decadently flirt outrageously and make playful, fulfilling connections. Gerard Filippo is the creative producer and Lucine Tora is a multidisciplinary artist, events producer and yoga teacher from Northwest London.
2: Also speaking to us on this show is Janet W. Hardy, an author of 12 groundbreaking books about relationships and sexuality, including The Ethical Slut: A Practical Guide to Polyamory, Open Relationships, and Other Adventures. They are the founder of Greenery Press, which has published more than 100 titles in the area of non-traditional sex and relationships and on topics ranging from ethical multi-partner relationships to erotic spanking and beyond.
1: Okay, so love why we wanted to do this episode one of the reasons why it was important to do this episode was I think generally in society, there's a tendency to see the topic as of love as not a very important subject. And it's either over-exaggerated through this whole like, you know, like rom-com, chick flick, made really wishy-washy. Or you get this other narrative, which is like a complete movement away from talking about love mm-hmm. and a rejection of it. And it's like got better things to think about um whereas actually I think love is super important to life and also so vast like uh from the love you have from you know love isn't just all about like the romantic love you have it's the love you have for your job for your work for your family for your friends um and I think it's a, it's important that we we discuss it
2: um something that I'm almost getting from you is um almost like for something that is so important to us and something that is seems so uh pervasive and and present in culture and narratives we don't necessarily spend enough time engaging with it on like a really sort of intentionally and critically and like trying to understand what it means to us and how to best live like these different types of loves where there's so much narrative from like films or or just preconceptions about what it means is that something that you're getting at perhaps well what do you think um well, love
0: um from a historical point of view is a relatively new thing in terms of romantic love um it's only more recently that people have decided to choose to not just marry out of political or um, positional kind of convenience, but more out of like this notion of love and that one can connect to another person and that would be enough to stay together. Um, And I, I mean, I don't know how far that goes in terms of friendship and what, you know, research has been done out of love in a platonic sense, but it is kind of a new concept and i feel like we're as a a society just about to explore We're, we're still on the early stages of exploring this very notion of what it means to love ourselves and another person
2: yeah i guess what you're saying there is almost like an uncoupling of love from marriage as a concept um which obviously um in most marriages love is there and that's like nowadays like that's how perhaps the beginning of a marriage story starts um but yeah sort of historically
0: and not around the world yeah, as well it's, true. our idea of love you know is not the same always you mm-hmm. know um in some countries for example arranged marriage you meet your partner and the love develops after through time so
1: yeah i think it's almost useful to exp- like. Love sometimes I, I feel can be made to feel like, it's almost useful to define what we think love is. Because yeah. obviously some people will say like, love is a set of emotions. Um, it's a way you feel about someone. Some people might say it's an action, it's a commitment to, to someone. And you think about your children and the love that you, you know, most people say they have for them. And then some people would say like, love is something that they can't control. It's innate, like, um, it's like a physiological thing for them um so it's quite useful to almost try and define love and I I wonder if we have any definitions for love or or that have been personally useful for ourselves Mm. or anything like that
2: um like personal definitions
1: yeah I think almost like we're talking about love one of the things that's almost useful to do is to like like, what is love? Mm. You know, at first you you have to understand what you're talking about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So, like, do we have any definitions? Uh, I mean, I can come to the table and say my a definition I found that was quite useful for me. Um, I read quite a lot about love, mm. which yeah. is maybe one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. To to do this episode, but I was reading recently a book by um, Bell Hooks. Mm bell Hooks obviously amazing essayist um and it's called it, the book's called all about love but in it she used a definition that she gets from this other guy who writes about love sorry i don't have his name right now but she calls it the will to extend oneself for the purpose or the nurturing of one one's own or another's spiritual growth and for mm. me i find that so like When I read that, I just, like, remember thinking to myself, like, yes, that's how I personally Mm. see love. And that's how I find love useful um, as a concept. Yeah. That's really
2: beautiful. Can you just say it again? I kind of want to hear it again. So
1: the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, I like that because it's all, it's quite balanced in terms of give and receive because i think that's something that comes into a lot this this implicit thing of like giving and receiving you know this um yeah so that's i i like because at the beginning of the sentence it sounds like it's about giving somebody the space etc but it's actually about your own growth as well yeah sort of being that kind of using love as a positive beginning where people can grow and better themselves and you know enjoy the beauty of the world together. That's yeah, really nice. It's cool. yeah. I
1: think I really loved the idea of nurturing. And mm. that, yeah, I agree with you. I also love the fact that, cause reading about love, some people, they only see some, like love as something that is external mm. to them. It's something that you, you do to someone else, you know? Mm. Um, and, and love is very much dependent on like the connection or the relationship that you have with another person or the emotions that other person sparks. But I really did love the fact that this definition Talks about love in relation to the self, number one. And then the use of the word nurturing, which I've, I, I mean, like to be nurturing, that's like such a beautiful concept. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, just such a beautiful concept. And also this idea of growth, because, um, you know, going back to the idea of commitment and trying to link in these other forms of love that you may have, the love that you may have for your job, uh, the love that you may have for your children, the love that you may have for yourself. I think so much of that is tied to this idea of growing and getting better and uh, like a journey almost. Mm. Um, So yeah, I found this personally, I play around with a lot of definitions, but I found this definition really, really useful.
0: we've got the traditional one from the Bible, you know, um, 1 Corinthians, 13, four to five, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And that's the one that always gets quoted in like weddings and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, and seems to be something that, as a culture, as a society, we kind of gravitate towards. Um, But it's interesting what you were saying with the bell hooks um, quote, it almost also sounds like love is a choice. It's not something where um, we just find ourselves loving people. I mean, obviously there's um, unrequited love, but we make an a, a active decision
1: to love,
0: if that makes sense.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, I hear you there. Um, yeah, I guess like almost going back to, when you were reading that definition from the Bible, I almost thought this this is like, so useful if you know what I mean but like yet, yet again like with a lot of like you know religious spirituals like the bar is like up here Yeah, you know what I mean it yeah. was like I was really like when you were listing it I was like yeah that's love that sounds great and then I was suddenly like shit man like cool yeah. <laughs> I have to work on myself if I'm gonna like yeah. do all those things but that's that's um,
0: another thing like um that notion that we have to be complete in order to be able to love and commit to someone else. Yeah, because
2: hmm. even that thing of like love isn't self-seeking. I mean, no one is on this world is not self-seeking to a certain extent, right? And mm. I find it more, some, some other definitions that we've been talking about, like the one you just read, I find that more um, easily kind of relatable or actionable because it's, a, it's about, like you can bring yourself to it as well. How can I, how can I think about me and you and, you know, however many people um and and all kind of be good together.
1: Hmm. I think another thing we're almost talking about right now is like self love, which yeah. is definitely something I wanted to talk about as well. And um, you know, we've all heard like loads of maxims about self love. RuPaul has one, which I bloody love, yeah. which he intros every single time. Please for drag us, race. But us. you know what I mean? How the hell are you gonna love your uh love someone else if you can't love yourself? Yeah. Um but yeah, like I think obviously self-love is great because uh, and the whole sort of talk we're having about self-love these days, the awareness we're, we're putting on it is very important because I do think a lot of love uh, does stem from self-love, mm-hmm. um, especially with this whole idea of nurturing something. I think if self-love is like there's a gap between your, your self-love uh, eventually it appears in the other relationships that you try to form. Um, but at, at the same time, I'm also very aware that like, self-love is quite a hard and a difficult thing to mm-hmm. own. And it's a journey as
0: well. It's not one of those ones you, all of a sudden you're filled with self-love and you know how to love yourself. It's a,
1: yeah, and I also thing. do think at certain points in a person's life, like you can go from, your self-love fluctuates. Yeah, You know what I mean? Um, And it's good to be attuned to that you know um, and also attuned to the importance of it
2: yeah and also I think um, I mean what does self-love mean to you I've, I find this quite an interesting question in that um, not to answer the question myself what I mean <laughs> is like I, I struggle with this idea of self-love sometimes because I think you can also very easily go go into a narcissistic mode when you just think about yourself I think some to some people that's almost what it becomes mm. and then then again for for some other people um yeah i don't know like it, it's it's quite it sounds obvious but it's actually quite a delicate and subtle skill to build
1: yeah, yeah. i think in i read this book by osho i believe it's in his book uh, courage and for anyone who's watched the wild country yeah. um <laughs> documentary australia is of course bag one but his oh, books are amazing no way like hands down <laughs> his books, just, his books obviously like, so. like when <laughs> yeah, i was I mean, watching really wild country i was like shit it's i would definitely have been indo- indoctrinated yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> but um his writing is like hands down amazing and did he write it himself just all right well it's definitely all, all dictated all, or? yeah it's all definitely uh uh Written based upon his speech for, okay. because he sounds as the exact same way he writes, yeah, yeah fair. but um, or it's written if he didn't write it, yeah, but um he talks about the first chapter in this book is basically on selfishness, mm. and it blew my mind just because there's someone who's not like i don't particularly I've never embraced the idea of being selfish, but his first concept is, is if you cannot be selfish, then you cannot know love if if you cannot, he just like get rid of this ah. Uh, you know, this sort of resistance you have to the idea of being selfish because it's not doing you any favors. Mm. And at first you're like, whoa, this is quite a big concept. But I mean, he, he's probably gonna, he explains it way better than I'm than I'm going to explain it now. But to be in favor of the self is not to be anti anyone else, mm. you know what I mean? It's just saying like, it's almost just saying I matter and I'm going to take myself into consideration. And I do think sometimes in society, like people find it quite hard to fully give themselves that attention. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for anyone who wants to be self-loving, that is the first, like confessing up to to doing that Mm -hmm. is almost like the first step. I agree. Because it's like, yeah, I think we, especially if you're someone who's genuinely quite loving in a weird way, you might put up a wall me, like, maybe I'm speaking personally here, but you might put up a wall for yourself uh, and self-love is definitely about breaking that wall. Do you know what that
0: ties exactly into what I was going to talk about later, but um, I completely agree. I feel like there's a movement as well uh, from communities that I've been seeing about talking about boundaries and knowing how much to give and how much to reserve for yourself. And that kind of ties into what Bhagwan clearly has been putting out there um, decades ago, um, and again, it's not a necess- not necessarily selfishness. It's more about a hey, I need to reserve this space in order for me to fully be me, um, and I guess that ties into what you're saying about self
1: love.
2: In the book, does he does he give any sort of like <laughs> practical? Uh, advice about how one can go about practicing that.
1: Yeah, he does. But actually, one of the things I wanted us to talk about is this, like mm. what practical advice do we think you can give to someone who wants to be, who wants to to almost begin their self-love journey or to forget the whole beginning. Maybe mm. that's not like, a nice way to, not a useful notion to have this whole idea of beginning, but to like enhance enhance that feeling of self-love um one thing i definitely say is I think though like maxims and sayings, uh, affirmations and et cetera are hugely important. Mm. Um yet again, though they're hard to they can be hard to own. It's not like you turn around and you say, um, I'm not gonna do this anymore or like I'm going to do this today, and it becomes instant. But I think having affirmations as something you have around you that you're constantly reminding yourself of mm. you're almost slowly teaching yourself the value to these things mm. um I but guess. yeah like what other things would you guys suggest
0: i would say um what i've personally discovered is compassion compassion for yourself it's easy to show compassion to other people you know like when other people make mistakes you're like you reason it out just so you can understand it oh you know the reason why they were late is because you know the traffic's bad da 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 but then we can be so hard on ourselves for example when we're late to show up for something um so almost taking a step back and reprogramming, your reprogramming your self-talk to have compassion for yourself um to recognize that we're human that we make mistakes and we're still lovable for the mistakes that we make um and yeah and showing ourselves love in that sense um it's a it's a journey in a sense of you're not going to wake up one day and be like, "I feel so much compassion for myself no it's it's something that takes time to change that inner monologue um, mm. and give yourself so much leeway because we put so much pressure on ourselves on our day to day, so yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, I think forgiveness mm. like is another word I throw into what you're saying, yeah, but like self- forgiveness is so key because like yeah, it's super key, because like you're saying, sometimes it's easier easier for us to forgive other people than it is to forgive ourselves
0: yeah
2: um just to bring it to the ground level i just had one thought about self-love which is like just get enough sleep yeah yeah i think these kind of basic human needs is something that when you when you're going about your day slash being existential um we're thinking about so many big concepts which are so important like like compassion forgiveness taking time being intentional etc but if you are sleep deprived you can forget about all of that yeah, so true. I think these kind of like just just remembering that you are an animal body that has needs yeah. and feeding your body what you need yeah. sleep being like a prime one yeah. um, mm. I think it's a good start Yeah,
1: yeah. I, agree. I agree I think if I was going to add something to stop doing I would say stop comparing yourself I think like comparison is like just the birth of all sorts of horrible things you just don't need, which is super damaging to the self. And it can be like, obviously in today's world with like things like Instagram and I don't know, Facebook, you're super connected to people, which is obviously really nice. But Mm. at the same time, uh, for people who aren't doing so well in a particular moment, that can be quite... To, to deal with yeah. but I just think like move yourself out of that space where you're constantly comparing yourself to other people and just to, s- to see your own journey as your own journey
0: Do you know um, what it kind of ties into what you were saying about affirmations something I found myself doing recently which I didn't really realise I was doing but I started following a lot of um, I don't know, four uh, pages on Instagram, um, and slowly unfollowed some of the ones pictures that were coming up. that's was like, oh, that's why is that on my feed? Um, so bit by bit, my feed started to change, like in terms of the kind of things that come up, to like affirmations, positive thoughts, and just pictures of people doing interesting things in the community, and I like it changed my interaction with my own Instagram page, which. I thought was quite, uh, like, we have control of that, we can do that, Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, just a...
2: Yeah, I mean, later on, we're also going to hear from Janet, um, co-author of The Ethical Slut, and in that book, there was a bunch of affirmations, which um, maybe we can have a a listen to right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so the book is, uh, if you haven't read it, there's like, this is structured in a way that like there are exercises that you can do relating to the topics that they talk about um, this one is an exercise for um, some affirmations to try um, okay I deserve love my body is sexy just the way it is I ask for whatever I want and say no to whatever I don't I turn difficulties into opportunities for growth Each new connection expands me. I contain all I need for a life full of delight. Sex is a beautiful expression of my loving spirit. I am on my personal path to ecstasy. That's cool. That's the list of affirmations they gave. I like that. I really love this one. I contain all I need for a life full of delight. Hmm. It's very empowering. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's really cool. Do you know what my um friend said to me uh, randomly over um the New Year break that I I just thought was so sweet? She was um getting over uh quite a painful rebound, um and she, in order to do that, she said she just kind of put herself in her room and hugged her pillow like if she was hugging herself. And then just spoke kind of to herself. Um, you know, like kind of affirmative stuff. Like, mm. hey, I am I know who I am. You know, this is how I feel. And it's okay that I feel this way right now. I will get through it. All that kind of stuff. And then she said, like, after doing that, she felt like free. It's almost like she wrote a love letter to herself, but hugging her pillow. Mm. Um, and she, And she was just like, that's what got her over it. Like, she was just like, yeah, but now I'm fine. I was just like, wow. As cheesy and, and corny as it might sound to an, 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 a random person who might have just stumbled into a room, um, it actually worked for her. And mm-hmm. it was her way of kind of um, bouncing back and talking to her inner self, which yeah, I thought was quite yeah.
3: cool. Cool.
0: Yeah. Story. yeah. Um, do you know what? So my personal story, I would say, if you asked me a year ago whether I had self-love would have been like, of course, yeah, self love, um, and in my head it would have been like, well, I want myself to be successful, and you know, I I wish well for myself. I don't want harm, like on a basic level. Um, but I would say after kind of roller coaster two years, of which you guys kind <laughs> of know, um, I I think I, I had to step back and address um, where i was at with my self love kind of like what you were saying your your self love fluctuates and goes up and down throughout your life and sometimes when you are being challenged like as in um things that happen in life that makes you challenge your sense of self um from different areas of your life different walks of your life you need to sometimes take a step back and address who am i what is my sense of self and what is and what does this mean for my self love Um, There is that famous, uh, what's her name, Dr. Brene Brown, I think it is, um, who writes about vulnerability and shame. And um, she talks about how it's about loving those areas of ourselves that um, we find difficult, you know. Um, So there's areas that we all have that we're ashamed of and vulnerable about. uh, We feel vulnerable about. And it's about kind of getting to a point, and there's a, a guy called Ken Page, um, who talks about deeper dating and things like that. And he says it's about kind of empowering them, seeing them as just superpower, um, So flipping them, changing the way we think about them in our head. Um, but yeah, that's the whole path in itself. Um, so yeah, it, it, I recently kind of came to a situation where I guess I was super stressed out over studying um, I had kind of been talking negative talks in my head and my self-love had kind of dwindled. Like I'd spent it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my bank was a little bit... My bank account was a bit low. Um, and I didn't acknowledge it. In fact, um, throughout the year, um, last year, there were moments where I was like, mm, I should look at this. Nah, not now, not now. Um, but I guess there was a situation towards the end of last year where... Um, I found myself acting in a way that surprised me uh, and felt out of character. And it had me kind of a bit like in a funk for a little while because I was just kind of like, whoa, like, that's not me. How did I, what was, you know, um, what was that about? And it kind of ties into what you said earlier, Rona, about um, when we, I guess there's that barrier that we kind of put up. And Ken Page talks about it. It's like a, a ring of fire where, we are tr- we are so ashamed of our insecurities and vulnerabilities and how much we are feeling and how much we love um, that we kind of sometimes can deflect and be defensive and to a certain extent push ourselves away and in terms of reject ourselves and reject others. Um, and I had a moment like that where, like in that moment where I was just like, whoa, like I really need to address that um, and I think that moment was a, in a, a weird way a blessing in itself because it did make me kind of take a step back and recognize that my self love is something I needed to work on. Like um, in the moment, so much of my insecurities that I didn't even know I was carrying mm. came out, and um, yeah, it it was it, like I said a blessing in its own way. Um, yeah, and and it's it's interesting as well because um uh there's this idea uh, I think what was it called? Containment um that they talk about in psychology where um we seek to be uh kind of like understood by others if that makes sense. So whether that's your parents, your you know you know your family or the loved one. And um so yeah there's like a, a idea that Like the the, the best way I can explain it is the person, the professor who um talked about it, was saying how she was um in hospital as a child, over um a couple of a period of time, and um on her last day, it was tradition kind of to get out of bed, um and wait for your parents to pick you up, while the nurses redo the bed, like it's the way they did things at the time, and she remembers. Waiting there, but having this insecurity that her parents weren't gonna come, mm. you know, and just standing there in fear, just waiting for her parents to come, and it's the idea that like, you like they've got you, you know, and like what they talk about is that we seek that in other people and in ourselves, um, and so part of that self love is having that comfortability that regardless of the kind of shame, embarrassment, or vulnerabilities that we have, we accept ourselves. And a person that we are connecting with whether that's our family members or our a significant other accept us
3: Mm.
1: yeah yeah what you've just said kind of like um as reminded like me of a parallel i almost wanted to make Mm -hmm. between this whole idea of Mm self-confidence and Mm self-esteem and so i think sometimes you know because you might think to yourself like you know you meet these people i think especially sometimes with women, um, or actually let's not even put gender on it, but you meet people who seem on the surface to be super outgoing, Mm. super in place in terms of like, you know, things going on in their life. Um, But, and so I describe these people as quite self-confident, but sometimes if self-esteem, like if they don't have a high self-esteem when it comes to the way they see themselves, that's where like the self love becomes yeah.
0: like is
2: missing if yeah, you know what I mean, yeah.
0: and uh, and sometimes it's a, it's a, a bit of a, a front for the yeah. fact that there's there mm. might be.
2: So what you're saying is that there's a quite a big difference between self confidence and mm. self esteem. Yeah, I just find these things because I think sometimes when
1: I think relationships is uh, great, relationships can sometimes put you into a great position to almost understand these things about yourself. And you could be someone who is super self-confident, but sometimes when you're in a relationship, you realise that your self-esteem isn't at the same, where it needs to be, you know what I mean? It's not on par. Um, And that could be because your self-love isn't intact. That's it, yeah. And yeah, I just think it's it's useful to have these ideas in Mm. mind just because, I don't know, it's really easy to mask over your, you know the need for self-love because you are someone who's self-confident yeah 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 um but yeah that's just the extra thing i was gonna add yeah just from the last yeah thing yeah you said. no
0: 100 percent. and one of the things that um ken page did say which i thought was quite cool was that um some of the defensiveness that we feel is because we are um almost like we're being triggered because something is touching, something that's close to our core, stuff that we need to work on, but also because we are trying to be our authentic self, but don't know how to channel that and interact with that and engage with that. Um, and so he kind of flips it as a positive thing with us trying to all, like get to the core of ourselves and present it in a way, again, that is you know full of self-love, but presenting our self-love to the world, mm. yeah.
1: I'm quite interested sometimes when we do tend to focus on this like romantic relationship with the one about like the other forms of love which we almost pay less attention to mm-hmm. and I think sometimes definitely friendship is one of those like forms of love or relationships that we tend to undervalue sometimes when we're so concentrated on finding the one and true love yeah um which I think, for me personally, I just think that's like a great shame because your friends can be yeah such a great source of like other connection. It's true.
2: Yeah, I think that's, um, I've got two thoughts. One is like kind of personal, how I like to think about these things. And another one's like a big kind of conspiracy thought. But um, the thing about like on a personal level, I, I just feel like I've always had this thought that like, why do we have a different set of, why do a lot of people have a different set of rules in how they treat their romantic partner uh, as compared to their friends or, like, they have a different set of, like, expectations. Whereas I always found that troubling and I actually tried to practice having the same kind of expectations from everyone um, in, like, not in a kind of, like, uh, like, high bar kind of Mm. sense, but more just, like... um, yeah like if you start thinking of your friends as as important mm. i mean we've all had those friends who like whenever they got a new boyfriend or girlfriend you didn't hear from them <laughs> yeah, for, like, until months. they break up yeah until <laughs> they break up and then, and then they're like comes back and you're just like yep you see how this was also important yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you know you decide whether to welcome them back in open arms or not um but um yeah like on a conspiracy level i'm not trying to undermine what i'm saying by like labeling that but I just feel like, you know, we're talking about love, relationships, marriage, the legal contract side of like history of it. Like if it was more normal that friends are going to be like so legally and financially dependent on each other, I feel like the discussion about love in friendships would be really, really different. Mm. And so it kind of really ties in with the kind of structure around mm. I feel like it's a whole kind of just ideology concept behind it.
1: Yeah, I think what you're saying there is almost like sometimes because we see romance as so connected to like marriage and the institution of marriage that um, we tend to put this like higher level to it. Mm. But with what you were actually saying, I did think to myself, what if two friends who were in business with each other? Yeah, yeah like in a weird true. way, they'd be on exactly the same playing yeah. field. Um, and I've I've had friends um, ha- having had to sit down other
0: friends and formally break up with them, you know, because Mm. of, you know, some situation Mm. or another. Um, So it's interesting where there are still elements within a romantic sense that kind of does exist in a friendship sense. Mm. If that makes sense, you formally have to end a situation. Yeah.
1: But I feel almost when you say that, I feel like that's the right way to go about it in Mm. a strange way. Just because you also hear of friends who are like, just quite happy to say oh we grew apart do yeah you know what I mean and yeah. then some, sometimes when you, which is natural mm-hmm. but I do think um, you know you would never accept that from a relationship oh we just don't we, we just haven't like seen each yeah. other in three months so you know I'm just not talking to her anymore yeah. Right? Yeah. You know. Yeah.
2: And also it doesn't, sometimes I feel like it doesn't happen enough for people because I hear people talking about like people they've known since they were 10 or whatever and they're like in their 30s now and they're just always like, oh, you know, this person always comes along to this thing but they're like just a real mess, not very respectful, always like being, you know, whatever, just like not being the person that they need them to be as a friend at this time in their life Mm -hmm. but they continue like being like quote unquote friends because they've known each other since 10 and I'm not saying like, I don't, I definitely respect the kind of, the urge and the desire to keep hold of those kind of because it's it's something really magical to know someone for that long, but yeah, like you were saying, I think sometimes people need to also just be like, you wouldn't accept that from a romantic relationship. Mm. You'd be like, this isn't working. Let's mm. break up. Yeah,
0: it's true. Um, Th- there is such beauty in a friendship as well, though, by um, not ho- holding friends to the same standards. As a romantic partner necessarily, or expectations of a romantic partner, and also not necessarily being tethered to them in the way that your family and siblings are, in the sense of you're just born. <laughs> that's your with your yeah. sibling. With um, friendships, it's like an active choice. Sometimes we don't, you know, really practice that active choice, but it's an active choice to maintain a friendship with someone and it's mm. then you know you're you're choosing yeah. them based on circumstances but also you know, things that you have in common or situations. It's, I I think there's such beauty to it in itself. Yeah. Mm. But
2: to even like flip that on its head though, I think sometimes like in romantic relationships or family relationships, people take that connection for granted Mm. and don't work it as hard as you would a friendship where you would have like another level of almost respect and intentionality behind it. And that can lead to real problems as well. That's true.
0: That's true. That's true. The
1: one... You go on. Sorry. The one thing I would say... Uh, based on what you just said, is that uh, sometimes in uh, friendships, we almost accept that uh, one person can't be... Like, we have multiple friendships, mm-hmm. and we accept that one person can't be everything for us. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Some people almost say, like, I have friends I do this with, and I have friends I do that with. But in romantic relationships, I think sometimes when we're searching for the one, we're almost searching for one person who can be everything for us. Yeah. Which I think sometimes is problematic yeah yeah
0: um it's true um i remember hearing maybe it might have been some podcast about um that expectation for the person to fit and tick every single box you've ever dreamed of and it's about like getting to a point where you're like okay i accept them for who they are you know and how much they can offer me and and Almost that being a kind of enough, if that makes sense, recognizing them and saying that's enough, you know, and and whether you are OK with that amount. And if you're not, obviously, you're going to go, actually, it's not my needs to this extent mm. and end it there. But tying it back into friendship, though, um, I've always found the best relationships I've had and have been from people who I've had a friendship with at the core of the relationship, if that makes sense. So those things definitely kind of overlap for me personally, um, because yeah, that interaction, that bond has kind of been built in a way that you accept each other, you you understand each other, you've already got that connection.
2: Mm -hmm. Hi, Janet, thank you so much for being on our show today. It's such a pleasure and honor to have you
4: oh well it's a pleasure to be
2: here um so i mean i i think a lot of the listeners of the show will have um read or at least heard of the book the ethical slut and one thing we'd love to kind of ask is you know you this book was first published in 1997 um what was it that really sparked uh you guys to get together and write this book
4: well uh there's a very specific story, uh, around that. Dossie and I had already written our first two books, which were BDSM books, the, the topping book and the bottoming book. Uh, and so we were getting invited to do speaking engagements about BDSM and we were at one at a wall places, a Mensa gathering. Um, and we did our BDSM talk and that was fine. Uh, as always, when we write and teach, it's always a lot about our own experiences. And so, uh, that night, there was a hot tub gathering, so I was meandering on down to where the hot tubs were, and I ran into a friend of mine outside the tubs, and she said, ah, you should have heard the conversation in my, my hot tub. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll bite. What was the conversation in your hot tub? And she said it was, did you hear about that S&M talk this morning? There were these two women doing it, and they were talking about stuff they had done together, and one of their boyfriends was right in the room. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, we had thought we were being outrageous because we were talking about BDSM, but that was not apparently the part that blew people away. It was that we were not monogamous, yeah. So at that point, we knew we had to write a book about uh, other ways of living besides monogamy.
2: Yeah, I mean, in reading the book, one thing that I really love about it is that it's so accessible and, um, like, obviously it's very well structured and all this kind of stuff, but you really feel that... Um, there is no fear in in engaging with the topic through the way that you've written it, so I definitely feel like it's is still relevant now and and especially I feel in recent years there's been a kind of resurgence of people being more um open and in talking about their alternative relationship models in the mainstream um Absolutely. C- yeah, can you share your thoughts about how you've seen that change, and and how you think um, your your kind of work and research um, ap- applies to this the state of things now?
4: Well, back when the first edition came out in the nineties, um, I, I I was getting calls for quite a while in there from TV talk shows that wanted to do episodes about polyamory, and they wanted referrals to um, possible guests who were not, um, I, I'm going to put this bluntly, not old hippies and not screaming geeks. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't because, you know, that's, A, that's my Rolodex right there, old hippies and screaming geeks, and B, because that's who was exploring poly back then, were people who were out of the mainstream. Um, but now it has percolated out into the mainstream. And now when I give speaking engagements, um, the audiences are full of um Young professional mainstream people, and that's very different
1: um Janet, one of the things that i th- I felt was really brilliant uh, about the uh, the ethical sl- slut as well was um the use of a glossary um in the book and yes I think polyamory is definitely something that um you know' polyamory is quite a vast relationship form there uh and then you talk about a, a few terms um, that you use to almost define boundaries or define the different styles of polyamorous relationships. Maybe uh, yes. first looking at the word ethical and the word slut, why did you think they were important to, to why do, what, what is their importance to polyamory?
4: Um, when we first started working on the book, um, that was our joke. We were going to call it the ethical slut, ha-ha. But then we finished the book, and we could not think of anything else to call it. Uh, You know, we were kicking around things like, you know, ethical non-monogamy for the 21st century. You know, things that sounded like textbooks,
1: just
4: Mm. clunky and awful. Um, So we decided that our initial instincts had been correct. It was actually Dossie who coined the phrase ethical slut. And we think it's important, A, to put it out there that, it is possible and desirable to be someone who has a lot of sex and likes a lot of sex and that it is possible to do that in an ethical way. So um, slut is still a button pusher for a lot of people. Uh, It happens almost every time we get a new translation on the book, we're contacted by the translator saying, no, you don't understand, The, the word that corresponds to slut in my country is a very rude word. And we say, yes, it's a very rude word in our country, too. Um, but uh, a lot of the foreign editions are being called ethical non-monogamy or ethical free love, things like that. They they really flinch away from whatever their word for slut is. And we think it's kind of, you know, we're not going to argue with their assessment of their market. But we think it's important to put it out there that the word slut is due to be reclaimed. It's... If, if being told that you're a person who has a lot of sex sounds like an insult to you, then you've got a problem with something. <laughs> mm. we, we don't use it as, as an insult. We don't expect, be, expect people to use it as an insult.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you, you've also reframed the use of slut within like a committed relationship framework, if you know what yes. I mean. Because obviously, yeah. usually when you think of a slut, it, it's like even embracing slut today, it's... It's a term that you almost connect with promiscuity and a lack of commitment or dedication to your partner. Um, But what would you say is the biggest sort of benefit to sexual freedom from within a committed relationship?
4: Um, Inside or outside a committed relationship, I think uh, the things people get from multiple partners, uh, it's a way of bringing different, energies, different histories, different beliefs, different styles into your life. You know, I, I don't quite understand why in other parts of life, connecting with many people is considered a growth experience. And all of a sudden, if it's sex, then it's bad. I don't get that. Mm. Um, I, I like connecting with a lot of people because I like variety in my life. I like to meet people and get to know them. And if I'm getting to know them intimately, I'm getting to know them better than I can if we're going bowling together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I also wonder. Um, so, I mean, in in the kind of talking about open relationships or polyamorous relationships, people people have all their own kind of fears and and anxiety around it and and people will say oh you know what about the jealousy um what about like just the sheer admin of trying to fit more than like one person in in your life um but what like from kind of your your experience and you know this all this research etc what do you actually think is the biggest difficulty um or do you think these topics like jealousy or just admin is is quite central to that
4: I think those are genuine issues. Um, I think that uh, right now I'm in my house, I'm trying to acclimate uh, an existing cat to a new cat. Mm-hmm. And it, that that's a pretty good object lesson in jealousy being something that is not unique to humans <laughs> and is, in fact, pretty broadly written into our social construct, uh, which does not mean you can't conquer it. People do get jealous. I think back in the early days of the poly movement, uh, we thought that getting jealous meant you were a bad polyamorist. And I'm really glad that that's gone away because everybody feels jealous sometimes. Um, Some people just a little, some people a great deal. Uh, But everybody gets sad sometimes, everybody gets angry sometimes, and we, we get over it. You know, we do the work. Um, we give it the time. We self soothe in whatever way works for us, and it gets better. So yeah. I, I, I think framing jealousy that way is is a much healthier way of looking at. It.
2: Yeah. And recently I read something about uh, jealousy, um, which, as obvious as it sounds, I never really thought about it um, in this framework. That actually jealousy always stems from your own insecurities. So you don't tend yes. to get jealous if it's if you're feeling one hundred percent secure in a in a in a context and and that is almost you know that's parallel to these kind of concepts about using i statements instead of you statements and discussions to not inflame the person that you're speaking with and and in so like doing the kind of Around jealousy, it's like, you know, if you talk about jealousy and start saying, oh, you know, this person's staying out late and um, it's about talking about them when actually it helps very much to look inward and seeing what the problem actually is. It may be in the other person, but um, yeah, I personally found that really helpful.
4: Well, the thing about uh, jealousy is um, if you frame it as being on the other person, you've just taken away all your own power. If it's the other person's fault that you're feeling jealous, then you, you're you helpless. Uh, there's nothing you can do. Whereas if you look for it inside yourself, then you can work on it.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So uh, Sorry, also going kind of connected to jealousy, I guess. Um, in polyamory, I think one of the very positive things about it is the fluidity to poly- polyamory as well. And I think, um, you know, for the Someone who doesn't really know that much about polyamory, um, uh, maybe the stereotypical image they have of a polyamorous person is someone who has like multiple, more than one partner, basically. But actually, uh, in reality, you know, you can have there are all these different types of partners you can have in order to almost navigate some of those, those emotions, like you can have a primary partner, you can have a polyamorous relationship, which is, um, which is fluid about fluid bonding, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, yeah. So it might be interesting if you could expand on how you found that Janet. Um,
4: there, okay. Putting there me on the spot. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no I, I'm just trying to frame a story. Um, there was a party way back when um, that I was attending with uh, my primary partner. I, I don't actually. I'm not a huge fan of the primary, second, secondary terminology because I don't like to hierarchicalize my relationships like that. But the dude I lived with, I was there with him. Um, and another guy who was there was uh, a guy that I did age play with. Um, back in that t- at that time I was exploring uh, my little girl self and he was the person that I was doing that with. And so they were standing over in the other side of the room talking and they saw me coming and uh, my partner held out his arm and said, hey honey, come over here and talk to your boyfriend and your daddy for a while. And it was just perfect. It was so such a lovely moment to be accepted and seen as I wanted to be seen by each person and each of them acknowledging their place in my life and not feeling like they were in competition. And, you know, if that the reason I go to that story is because it really clicked for me that that's how these things can work. If they're working, um, the, the various people in someone's life, each has their role. Um, and each of them brings something to the table that the other ones don't
2: or don't want to. Yeah, just to kind of riff off the joyousness of that story, which sounds, yeah, absolutely wonderful way of encountering someone. I just want to kind of bring it back to this idea that um, exploring um, polyamorous relationships or open relationships can be um, a totally sort of empowering and joyous thing um, when in society that obviously there's a lot of uh, negativity and fear around it. So in your book, you talk a lot about um, sex positive and sex negative framing um, in people's minds and, and, and in society in general. Um, and also uh, this concept that there's like a centrist view of looking at things, whether it's heterocentrist, whether it's uh, monogamous centrist. And I found all of these things so interesting because um, in even just using the word centrist, you are highlighting the fact that as soon as you start thinking in a certain patterned way, it's about falling into habit and not exploring things things which are um potentially constructive or or can be um liberating for yourself and and that certainly applies to to sex um positive and negative ways of thinking so um could you just kind of perhaps respond to some of that um like how how to kind of how you perhaps in either writing the book or personally broke through these um sex negative concepts
4: i think for women in particular um there's a huge amount of programming around sex diminishing your value in the greater culture. I mean, one of the things we call women who have a lot of sex is we call them cheap. Um, That is kind of laying it right on the line. You know, when you're talking about supply and demand and there's too much supply, then you're reducing the value. And that's, to me, shocking and awful and everywhere um so that's one of the places that i would start to tease that apart is by querying why we think um having a lot of sex reduces our value um
2: i just want to say also in in the book i love the moment where um you kind of highlight uh one of the words associated is cheap and then your kind of um note to that is like oh i if there's something good about being expensive or difficult which i find so humorous I, yeah.
4: yes no, i i think um I think the the word you're it, it was about being easy. Um, oh yes, yes. But it is there some virtue in being difficult. Yes, that's um, the one. And I the, the sad part of that is I think there is in conventional gender culture there is some value in being difficult. You mm-hmm. know, we as I when I was a girl I was taught to play hard to get. That's yeah. real different from being easy, right?
2: Yeah, I suppose there's a lot of kind of deep. um capitalist, economic framework around all of that.
4: Yeah. That that book that came out a decade or so back called The Rules, that was all about that. It's how to increase your value in the sexual marketplace by being difficult. Mm. Um, Right?
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah, Some of the men's, men's analogues have to do with, you know, like, negging the woman so she'll feel bad about herself because that makes her more accessible sexually. You know, it's a really destructive game that our culture has taught us to play. And so recognizing that when it comes up in your life and querying it. I mean, it maybe you query it and decide that it's working for you and you want it. And that's fine. But I don't like the idea of things going unquestioned. Uh, And so if someone finds themselves feeling bad about uh, the way sex fits into their life, um, sit with that for a while. See what What the problem looks like how it feels uh is it really something you're choosing or is it something that's been programmed into you
2: yeah absolutely i guess this is what all of this is about um in sort of not just accepting status quo as much cliche that sounds um but just questioning models that are given to you and and You know you can be that you come out the other end saying well actually monogamy is for me and a hetero relationship is for me i think what's what's interesting to me is how often people feel attacked by even just posing these questions
4: in in the new edition of the ethical slot which i think is probably the one you have um we actually did a sidebar called in praise of monogamy because people were insisting that we were anti-monogamy we're we're totally not. Mm. Uh, it works really well for any number of people. It doesn't happen to work for us. But I, I respect the hell out of people who make a uninformed choice to do monogamy. Um, the key word, there being informed. Mm. I think that, you know, if you're being monogamous because you've been taught that it's the only right thing to be, the only ethical thing to be, then... Or worse, that you've never thought about it at all. You've just sort of tumbled into it, as I did in my first marriage. Mm. Um, we never actually sat down and said, "Hey, are we going to be monogamous?" No, we just kind of assumed it as a given, and that's that's mm. what we have an issue with. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't like that idea of just being driven by our assumptions instead of making informed choices.
2: Yeah, and I mean, on this topic of going just with assumption and tied in with what we were talking about, the kind of fear and anxiety around uh, communicating what one wants, wants or wants to explore uh, in Sex and Desire. Yeah. Um, I mean, what would what would be your kind of um, essential advice about communicating your sexual desire to a partner or multiple partners?
4: Oh, uh, baby steps would be my advice. Yeah. Um, mm. Very, very few people have had much training in how to talk about their own sexual desires. Um, the time to do it is not in the middle of whatever you do, enjoy two or three or four of you actually enjoy doing in, se- in bed together uh, because people are not terribly rational when they are turned on.
2: Yeah, definitely uh, been there, made that mistake.
4: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so set aside some time. Uh, do some entry-level talking about, um, I had this fantasy the other day, or I've been wondering how it might work if we, or, you know, just go slow. Uh, it's way easier to go a little farther than it is to backtrack. Uh, so just kind of move slowly into it. Uh, make, make particular times If you're not in the habit of having a set time to talk about your relationship, now might be a good time to form that pattern. Um, I talked to one couple who, uh, a Jewish couple who have their Seder every Friday night. And then after Seder, they put the kid to bed and then they have what they call the news of the week in review, where they sit down and do the meta talk about things in their relationship. And I think that's perfect. I think that is a really wonderful way to structure some of these conversations. I talked to another couple who had a big house and room to do this, who had one couch that was the couch for sitting and talking about our relationship on. So if one of them went and sat on the couch, that was their signal to the other one, come sit down and let's talk.
2: Mm, yeah there's a lot about sort of building codes or signals and and training that that skill um of of talking communicating and and handling situations um i guess yeah i do see she she's a therapist is um and there's a lot of i think this was really great is that in what you guys talk about there's a lot about Uh, training yourself in these skills that we definitely are not prepared um, by society or just kind of conventional teaching to to deal with Um,
4: I think letting go of the need to be right is a really good first step in any communication Um, if you're in a communication to win and to be right then it's (laughs) The chances that your partner is going to come out of that communication feeling like they've made some progress or they're comfortable with the outcome. You know, the, the thing is, if you're in it to win, then someone's got to lose. And do you really want your partner to lose this discussion? You, you don't. You have to brush up your listening skills. A lot of people in uh, an argument listen for exactly long enough to figure out what they're going to say next, and then they turn their ears off. Um, it can be a really good idea to make a commitment to let the other person say everything they want to say before you start to talk. In groups, sometimes people use a talking stick or something like that, where unless you're holding the talking stick, you're not allowed to say anything. Uh, And that's a way of ensuring that the speaker has a chance to say what they're saying and be listened to before someone else starts to talk.
2: Yeah. And what you're saying here, I mean, it totally applies to um, all kinds of relationships. And that's also something that we're, you know, yes. exploring here, which is not just about romantic or sexual or, you know, we're talking about friendships and and just people that you brush up with. It's a constant work, but so, yes. so, val- so, um, so powerful in, in building stronger relationships.
4: Yes. Now, one of the things I, I personally love about being poly is that I don't see much difference um in between my friends and my romantic or sexual partners these are all relationships to me and uh the fact that some of them i might be having sex with and some of them i might not is irrelevant to that it's like you know some of them i talk books with some of them i go to movies with some of them i have sex with um, and all of them deserve and require my best uh my best set of relationship skills Absolutely. Yeah, that's
1: really beautiful, Janet. In the book as well, you talk about when you're being a slut, the need to also make sure you have etiquette to your sexual practices. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I th- I feel like you almost touched on it slightly before, but what but why was that important? Why was that important to to include? I,
4: I think most interpersonal ethics and certainly sexual ethics have to do with seeing the person you're engaging with as a full person, Uh, not just someone you have sex with, but as someone with a complex emotional life and needs and desires, just like you. Um, And if you're going at it from that perspective, it's really hard to be unethical to them because you wouldn't like it and they're not gonna like it Um, and of course, many given that uh, our audiences are often people who are into bdsm the question comes up about consensual rudeness uh <laughs> and that's a whole different that, that that's a whole different ballpark that's negotiated that's consensual but in general uh absent some sort of specific uh context of negotiated not um, inequality um the other person has rights needs desires um ideas that are like yours different than yours or otherwise why bother Mm -hmm. but as important as yours
1: yeah definitely I
4: I i think when we see bad ethics in any uh sex positive or sexually oriented environment um it has to do with people seeing potential partners as tools yeah you know sex toys basically mm-hmm. uh, and that is not an ethical way to deal with the, with the human beings that choose to engage with you and, and if you're if you're doing that a lot uh, there may be some stuff going on with you um, believing that you don't deserve partners that are full human beings that mm-hmm. you um, that you can't handle that Largeness of spirit, and that's a thing to look at. I think sometimes self-esteem issues turn into bad behaviors. Uh, if you, if you feel um, incomplete, then it's hard to perceive someone else as complete.
2: Yeah, and I, I, this is kind of the reason why I love this whole topic and and your book and all the stuff that we're discussing here because it's really far-reaching. It's not just about, you know, how you manage your sexual calendar or who you go to the cinema with. It's really about how to treat people and be good, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's all the time we have, but um, thank you so much for for this amazing discussion that we just had.
1: Yeah, thank you, Janet. Really a- yeah. You're very welcome. Enjoyed.
4: Uh, thank you very much.
1: So now we're joined by Jared and Lucine from Pinky Promise.
5: Hello. Hi.
1: Um could you guys tell us a tiny bit about your events and what you guys do at them?
5: Sure. Um so Pinky Promise is uh, kind of a coming together of uh, like-minded ethical hedonists, we call them, uh, who want to kind of express themselves, uh, we say to kind of flirt outrageously and to be very playful, but in a very kind of safe and consensual way. Um, and I guess it's kind of very much a celebration of sex without sex. So we have everything from kind of performances, uh, kind of exotic dances, to uh, workshops and talks about intimacy uh, and erotic storytelling, nude life drawing uh, bum painting uh, and everything in between (laughs) just very playful uh, but yeah very safe and very kind of soft Um,
1: But intimacy I guess you've stressed that it's not really about sex but intimacy Mm -hmm. is a allowed and involved I guess at the events Mm. Um, and there's nudity and etc there right?
5: Yeah so we kind of we're we're very much expressing sensuality and kind of trying to create a space uh, for intimate connections or kind of very more meaningful so kind of things that don't have to have any sense of kind of uh, an outcome so you know you're very uh, willing to kind of dance and play with people but very much not expecting anything uh, which I think is really necessary in kind of today's kind of landscape of club nights and and places
3: Mm, and there's also the workshop element Mm. as well um, which I think is really awesome which is about opening up discussion so uh, panel discussions about uh, sex positivity about body positivity and what these terms actually mean Um, workshops on consent safe touch and and connection so that people can sort of have an opportunity to get comfortable in their bodies and comfortable connection as well, comfortable meaningful connections. Because intimacy doesn't always have to be about about uh, touch and doesn't always have to be about verbal communication. It doesn't even have to be about sexuality. Intimacy can be a really close conversation. Mm. It can be kind of sparking a connection in a way that is, um, yeah, very different, very different from sex itself
1: Mm. yeah when you guys were talking about the event one of the things that i thought was almost kind of like very beautiful and one of the things you almost look for when you go out is like the new connections you can form but then i found it so ironic just because when you think about like going out these days i usually tend to go out with one set of people Mm. and leave with one set of people um and that's almost just become the norm Mm. i think sometimes for like especially exploring nightlife sometimes um and i think it's really nice and inviting that it seems like pinky promise at pinky promise people are encouraged to almost find deeper connections with people they've never met before
5: yeah i think it's um i've always wanted to kind of create events that you can go to alone i think i'm very much kind of of the persuasion that i like to Ensure that people feel confident enough to go to places that they know they're going to be looked after, they are going to be safe, but also the people around them are going to be kind of inviting enough to not kind of stay in cliques and really encouraged to kind of dance with people and to kind of again, play, we've got lots of games, but very much feel uh, allowed to be themselves, but also not needing to be make sense of themselves through their group of friends and really express their own kind of desires and wants and, and identity.
1: Um. Another one of the sort of topics of this show is relationships Mm. Mm. and we've been exploring like basically alternative models from the standard heteronormative Mm. relationship and polyamory has become quite a big focus uh, of this episode as a result of that. Um, I know you both have had um, experiences in poly forms of relationships um I think it's interesting just because when you look into polyamory as well it it is such a broad uh group of different types of relationships. So I was wondering if you guys could expand or talk a bit about um how you've experienced polyamory and what was the sort of benefits of that for for you.
3: Mm, so um one of my relationships was uh was initially my partner stated kind of before we even got together uh, they stated that they were into the idea of free love and uh, wanted to explore polyamorous relationships and at the time i kind of said yeah okay why not i was like i actually don't know you that well anyway (laughs) 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 i've just met you you seem like a cool person you seem like a great person so I said, yeah, okay, like, let's try it. So since that was like the sort of precedent of our of our relationship, it was kind of kept in conversation throughout the time that we were together. Um, and I suppose what I've learned from it is, it was so much about boundaries, language and communication. Uh, my partner said right from the beginning, like truth and honesty, truth and honesty is key. Um, but there were moments where I found, that just because you've told me what's happening, just because you've set out your intentions about doing something with somebody else, it doesn't actually mean that that makes it okay or comfortable. I spent a lot of my time, uh, or a lot of time outside of the relationship, talking about it and asking different people questions. I found that I kind of, yeah, I had a pers- I had one perspective of it going in, but as I as I got to know myself, I wasn't stating what I wanted and I wasn't stating what my boundaries were. And because of the sort of the precedent and the preconception of truth and honesty, I just kind of I almost used that as a okay, that's what we're doing now, rather than actually practicing what it meant for me to share my truth and to be totally honest about what mm. I was comfortable with. That was a really big uh, exploration for me and a really good lesson.
0: So moving forward, out of curiosity, would you, now that you know what your boundaries are or a bit more about what you—you didn't work for you in the last situation, mm. would you ever kind of go into a polyamorous situation again?
3: looking at everything in hindsight i'm in a place where i now feel very empowered mm. um and that's come through time space um exploring what sort of self love and self care actually mean mm. yeah i would say that now i'm i'm actually in a place where pinky promise is so wonderful because i'm i'm kind of ready to explore my sexuality because I've never really felt like la- I don't I don't like to label myself um and I've always kind of been at a bat- in a battle with that um but I never wanted to do anything for my partner's gaze and that's something that kind of I'm I'm thinking about a lot at the moment like kind of the male gaze uh being being female and identifying as a female um what that means to me
1: yeah that's really interesting I think like when you speak to some people, they almost enjoy the fluidity of that. Mm. But I think, um, you know, through just knowing yourself, it's very, it's also good just to know what you want and what Mm. your boundaries are. So I think that's like, we've also are talking about self-love on this episode. And I think what you said just really hits the nail on that. It's like, once you understand yourself, Mm. everything, or like you understand your position on certain things, then you almost uh, are drawn to, to what fits with you, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think sometimes, like, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask as well is about some of the misconceptions around mm. polyamory. And um, I think sometimes there is a misconception around sexual freedom and polyamory. Sure, sure. Um, whereas I think that's completely like a boundary thing as well. That's yeah. about like your own personal, you know, limitations. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, Jared, I don't know if you uh, want to expand on your, also your polyamorous.
5: So I'd say, so yeah, with um, the previous partner, we were uh, we were um, actually more in an open relationship. So we, we kind of very much uh, had a discussion early on when we were kind of forming what, what kind of our wants and desires were. And they were very much kind of fixed and not really looking for, I guess, intentional relationships with other people but there's that kind of blurred boundary I think that kind of very much occurs with being in an open relationship or being polyamorous and I think it's some presume being open just means it's a kind of free-for-all for for kind of uh, just means it's a you can sleep with as many people as you want and and that's a kind of seeing people very much as a means to an end I think with uh, I guess the idea that we kinda very much establish is that we're not like that we kind of Uh, don't really sleep around, but we kind of wanted the kind of continuation of meaningful uh, encounters and relations with other people as long as it was consensual and there was that sense of trust and respect that we we had for ourselves, but also for the people that we engage with. Um, And I think very much trying to understand what boundaries are, you have to kind of, I guess sometimes, um, I mean, the way my mind works is preempt scenarios. So I think being... uh, working a lot on events and, you know, in event management. I was using that kind of head yes. to kind of somehow foresee uh, certain things and just kind of pose those questions. But obviously the boundaries, you, you know what your boundaries are when actually that physically occurs. So I think that was the thing that we did for, you know, a good six years. We kind of very much would always kind of reassess where we were at, what our kind of wants were, kind of what our desires were, but also very much with the people that we engage with. I think it, you know, you have to very much articulate from the very beginning. Um what their wants were and what, what they would want from, from the encounter, from the relation. Um, so I think definitely kind of going on more what you say is kind of articulating a lot with the other people because I think what happens in an open relationship, there is inevitably someone that's feeling sometimes like the other, sometimes feeling like the left one out. And um, So I think, you know, big learning curve over a over span of, you know, about seven years or so, just trying to understand this a lot. Um, but I so said that, yeah from a previous partner took on so much of this learning and experience and really tried to take, I guess, the the lessons I learned from how I was with partner in terms of celebrating, adoring, respecting, trusting, trying to kind of essentially create that in an environment, a space that others can kind of feel as well.
1: Mm. Mm, yeah, I think also what's really interesting is that mm-hmm. I think... Uh, with something like heteronormativity, I know you almost touched on it when you were talking about labels mm. and I can completely connect as well. Mm. Like sometimes there are just certain rules that you almost unconsciously follow and you don't even know that you're you're following sure. them. And it's like, where do you go to question these things mm. so you understand for yourself? Um, and I think it's that's why it's almost re- it's really amazing what you guys do with Pinky mm. Promise because it's almost getting people to engage with this information, which isn't, as re- like, like society doesn't make it that readily available to mm. us you know it um definitely hounds uh, an idea of love to you and that it's important and then you should find you know your mister or your Misses right or whatever mm. on a very generic heteronormative you know mm. sort of level um but where do you go to discover actually what you want and what works for you mm.
5: I, th- I think this is definitely kind of also these the events came out of a kind of response from I kind of, you know, from a lot of the kind of more from sex parties, from adult events that kind of work in and we go to, there was that level of kind of superficial kind of encounters that people were very much choosing. They're thinking all they could kind of do was just to have sex with people. And there wasn't really that kind of slowness, that kind of level of intimacy and kind of understanding of the other that I think really takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. I think people that kind of give in very quickly to kind of an urge is, of course, totally fine and you know that's of course very fun but I think really what definitely something I took from, from this open kind of relationship my experience with this is how do you foster kind of meaningful connections with people that aren't necessarily sexual you know I think you know sometimes you do just want to be hugged and you do just want to kind of you know actually have soft touch and not to feel sexualized both you know as a male I think someone there's always this assumption I think a lot of these times that it's a guy that has to be always kind of performing always kind of up for it and I think definitely for me I'm I'm kind of not in that kind of struggle to <laughs> fall into I really want you know just to, to hold and sort of, yeah, yeah, so yes that's I mean that's why we say everything but sex at, yeah. at these events we've got a kind of corner soft hugging corner we'll call it a cuddle corner that you can kind of go in and just kind of have a soft touch with people but very much in a way of holding them and I think that was how we've wanted to project a lot of what we do which is about the kind of soft intimate encounters that people have rather than it needing to be full on like let's go to the playroom you know. And do you
0: know what's interesting because um, people are talking about the rise of loneliness mm. in London. Um, That's true. So for to kind of counteract that this kind of um, the pinky promise is a great way to kind of explore intimacy and like connecting with other people in that kind of way where it combats It combats
5: mm. it. This is great. Well I think also what I think it's quite important to say is that even if you are in a relationship you can still come here even in a monogamous relationship yeah. I think it's what's definitely a thing that a lot of my, my female friends uh, uh, have an issue with is a lot of the male friends that they might have had for a while end up trying to sexualise the relation and are kind of feeling like where are their male friends gone you know why are mm. they struggling to kind of have as many kind of male acquaintances that try to see them solely for just being friends and I think that's what I also want to kind of foster in this space is that you can go there and engage with people really without this level of expectation that they're going to try to sexualize the encounter. You know, it's very consensual. Everyone has to check in. There's lots of rules that you kind of read before you're coming in. And I think that's also important for combating this loneliness that it shouldn't just be this binary of either you're sexual or you're just in a friend zone. You know, yeah, the worst yeah. thing is, you know, the notion of a friend zone as if that's something bad. You know, I yeah. think, there's you know, something
3: really important about that, actually, which I started to notice a lot because um in terms of like in in terms of like sexualization just picking up on what you said with with that thing of literally like where have my male friends gone there's something so special about friendship even in relationships even within your own relationship And, and from my own experiences, I've just noticed how important it is to have that friendship ele- element, which is like I'm I'm here for you. Yeah, I'm 100%. here for you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to empathize with you and to 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 like like being there, whatever quote unquote. Um, I'm like I'm there for you, and I think that in in the way that we've kind of been sexualized, it's like. It's like something actually, when I did, I did the photo shoot for Pinky Promise, and I suddenly I, I I see myself as quite an open person. I see myself as very confident, ready to get up and speak. I love being on stage. I love telling my stories. Um, I love performing. But suddenly, when I was thinking about how I wanted to dress, and there were sort of all of these burlesque dancers and uh, people who do this naturally a lot of the time, and and have loads of fun with it and I suddenly felt a lot of vulnerability and like okay, how how can I, ex- what is my sensuality and what is my unique sense of sensuality and how can I enjoy being flirtatious? How can I enjoy the way that my body type is and accept that and appreciate that for what it is and how can i be seen for all of it seen as a as a sexual being as a creative being as an emotional being as an artistic being as a female um but at the very same time just just be seen for it and not have not have that have to be acted on so uh to not to not always be seen as as an as an object of desire mm. but at the same time there's i think it philosophically we've mm. kind of as humans we've got these two poles where we kind of we want to be seen in that way and because we we want there's nothing wrong with romantic and sexual desire but at the very same time we want to be seen for our our minds seen for our intellect seen for our emotions and and respected for that and i think there's mm. something in consent in asking questions getting to know people getting to know somebody as a person before before seeing them as as sexual which is just an interesting idea yeah
5: and I I think just yeah definitely going on from that in terms of these kind of misconceptions um definitely in terms of the misconceptions of kind of the open relationship I definitely felt you know my partner many times when she would kind of state to others that this is kind of her preference or kind of where she's at she would very much kind of be looked down upon or kind of slut-shamed and kind mm. of there would be this assumption that you're in this just for sex and nothing else or they would try to have a sense of yeah, it was just a, very much undermining her preference and she'd say, I'm, no, I'm just telling you this but I'm not, A, expecting, I'm not wanting to have sex with you, I was just kind of saying this is something I do or, you know, respect this is a decision I've made, don't try to shame me for it and I think this is where it's very... Whereas I can say that my experience within it as a whole, and obviously with the relationship and how I've con- we conducted it for Six Years was excellent, I ne- definitely know that comes from a sense of privilege and that kind of sense of recognising that there was an inherent different power play that maybe perhaps existed uh, with the people I encountered with that maybe the ones that she did.
0: Mm. Uh, it kind of ties back into the ethical slot in a weird mm-hmm. way because she talks about the fact that we automatically in society, as soon as someone expresses that they're free, it's kind of like polyamory as well, that they're open to have open relationships or have you know be polyamorous, um, that you kind of get assumed to be someone who's just sexually hooking up with anyone mm. and that there's no boundaries there. And then therefore you're open to connect with anyone on any kind of scale without any kind of basic friendship or connection. Mm. So it's it's a shame that we kind of operate in that way, but hopefully... We're breaking it down bit by bit.
1: So obviously you guys were talking about the events and the sort of uh, things that go on there and we were also speaking to the ethical author about um, sort of sexual etiquette Mm. Um, and so what sort of practices do you have at Pinky Promise that make sure that you know these are these are things that happened in that space as well.
5: I think, yeah, that's a great question. I think this is why I think it's really important for promoters especially to start kind of waking up to realise that less and less people are going out at the moment because they do feel they don't want to be harassed, they don't want to be kind of um, uh, if they are just going out just to kind of dance, they don't want to be approached necessarily or they kind of want to feel free to kind of not have to endure that if, and especially what we've kind of got is called the Pinky Patrol. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's a group of, it's going to be a group of about uh, up to about 20 volunteers that are going to be situated around uh, the space, very kind of clearly indicated they'll have a kind of pink band around them. Uh, and they're there to be kind of observing the spaces, obviously, they'll still be dancing, uh, but definitely observing the spaces and very much being there to kind of uh, at any moment in time if you kind of wish that you feel unsafe or you also just want to have a conversation, uh, they will be there to kind. Kind of, uh, kind of assist you and hold you in kind of whatever different states that you're in. Um, I think it's so important to know that safety and consent is the kind of number one rule. So we have a list of rules on our website that also everyone that buys a ticket will receive as well. Um, Everything just about etiquette, which I think is very kind of clear. I think you know a lot of people. Especially men don't know sometimes how to approach people, and I think it's the fact that we're saying these spaces can exist that you can, you can of of course approach people, but you have to do it in a way which gives autonomy and the free will for people to say no and to learn learn how to accept no and learn how to approach someone. So we're also doing workshops on that uh, consent on the dance floor, and um, of course, like in terms of pronouns, in terms of trying to understand that if someone is dancing there that might be. Uh, topless or kind of uh, is looking particularly maybe they might assume a certain way never assume so i think this in in all situations never presume anyone's kind of um in any state to kind of i guess be approached i think very much kind of understand why you're doing this why you're approaching to them and just just being a bit more conscious being more stoic and understanding not impulsive um but yeah as i said all these spaces are going to be kind of monitored and uh you know we've got lots of different rooms and i guess just to know that when people come there, they, go, they are going to be looked after.
3: It's also when when you um, open up conversations like this as well, you do get people asking more questions. So it's 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 kind of, it's encouraging, mm. encouraging asking like questions. Open dialogue. Like, yeah. yeah.
1: I think that is so important. Just going back to what you were saying about like this sort of like uh, desire you can have to be mm. desired. If mm. you know what I mean? Or to be, to be desirable. Um, which I think so many people do obviously have, do you know what I mean? But it's it's about how can you do that safely? Because mm. I think sometimes, uh, especially like when it comes to going out, you know, like if you've put yourself in a certain position, it's almost like suddenly uh, it's your fault if anything mm. happens, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and it, we're doing a lot of work to reverse this whole sort of narrative where it's like you were asking for mm. it basically. Sure. Um, but I think that comes with like educating. It's about educating everyone across the board, yeah. so we understand like you know you can be someone who feels quite liberated within yourself to a or quite confident in yourself to a certain extent, maybe like an exhibitionist with your body or whatever. Um, but that that doesn't mean that's permission to do absolutely. anything. Absolutely,
3: absolutely. And we were having this conversation about storytelling when you when you start to talk to people that are openly talking about psychedelics for example or yoga or sound healing and various different practices of energetic work reiki and tantra when we work with energy it's it's very intimate automatically it's very intimate if we talk about healing or therapy automatically you attract people that are vulnerable because when we hear healing the people that will go for healing or go for therapy are looking are looking for that exactly that i've been sort of exploring and and learning to understand for myself what safe practice is and you know in the philosophy of yoga you've got these principles you've got the yamas and the niyamas and one of them touches on like the student teacher relationship Again, everybody's different, and everybody's come from a different place, a different space, a different experience. When we come from spaces of, of trauma or misunderstanding or even to go as far as, as, as abuse, we, we and vulnerability um Sometimes that openness can get very, very confused. Uh, I noticed that I started to give people really long hugs and <laughs> because also scientifically, it releases oxytocin in the body. Um, so it's supposed to be really good for us and, and really loving and, and promote that, that love chemical. Um, but what happens, what can happen is people can misread these things. I, I would hear things like, she's so playful. She would be up for it. Mm. The way that she's dancing, oh, the way that she's dancing with you, yeah, that's something that she'd be into. I just started to notice what can get misinterpreted, and and I was enjoying this sense of openness, and I and I noticed a lot of other um, female identifying people sometimes after some some of the women that I did speak to would say, yeah, I've either stopped kind of giving hugs like that, or I'm starting to protect and guard my energy more. I'm actually noticing a shift across a lot of different spaces where people are are realizing again that uh, protecting themselves and and putting that wall up um, can be quite important because it can be misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a should or shouldn't about it. I don't think it should be mistake and misinterpreted but we can't help yeah. where where people's experience, education and background. We can't help where other people are coming from. So I suppose the education mm-hmm. side of this is it's making people aware. It's making people aware and that naturally empowers us to go now that I have all the education and information that I need to make a choice about what I want and and how I how I communicate what what can I what can I now do with that how can I now present myself and how do I want to present myself
5: I think that yeah I mean that's a such a fantastic point I think it's the the reason why we're doing these kind of talks and workshops they're only about 20-25 minutes but when we've got a lot throughout the night Um, but it's basically learning these kind of bite-sized bits of information and then taking them to the dance floor taking them to the space so you can really learn to apply them and and I think that's just kind of an important feature of the night is that you are obviously going to be able to dance, but you are able to really tap into just learning a kind of new behavior, a new kind of trick or kind of a new kind of way of being and also sharing of experiences. You know, we've got women's circles. We're going to have, um I don't want to call them, oh yes, experts basically, but I guess kind of not in that kind of meaning to feel that someone that's in front of you is more enlightened and unattainable of knowledge, but it's just very much people that you can relate to just to kind of share the experiences. Um that you can then kind of understand that there's a bit of a harmonious understanding of people around you with similar bits of trauma or similar bits of experience and understanding and yeah
0: it would be cool to kind of define what self-love means to you guys individually because i think that although we all have a kind of broad definition of what it means um, everyone has it their own definition for themselves and how they've come to it so it would be great to know how you guys have been on that journey and what it means to you
5: I think that's a that's an excellent question I think it's um I think in in terms of the idea of self-love and I think linking a lot to kind of relationships I think how I've always gone into kind of different encounters is already feeling very full Mm -hmm. I feel very kind of full and kind of content in myself and so anyone I see I want to celebrate I don't see them kind of shaping the direction of my life to a degree that's going to kind of fill fill a void in any way and I think I mean again that comes from a place of a sense of security that I've come through from this you know wonderful previous relationship but i think that idea of kind of self-love is if you kind of feel this sense of security but within yourself not externally not through some things but very much in yourself that the people that you kind of then can encounter will be able to kind of relish in that and obviously not use it or kind of or take from it but very much you, i feel i've got that ability to anyone i say i want to celebrate mm. um mm. and that's kind of my sense of self-love is i know i kind of not love myself in a narcissistic way, but I think very so <laughs> much oh, like yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this weird thing. It's, it's, so, it's an interesting really thing, are. as a, I think as a guy, I've never really approached this kind of topic of self-love. I think, especially a lot in our kind of circles, I think self-love is very much linked to kind of sexual self-love and self-pleasure. And I think for yeah, definitely for my kind of circles of like, especially male friends, it's not really been a thing that we've acknowledged so much. I think it's more I just find out about how much I kind of love myself when I'm with others Mm -hmm. because I know I feel good and Mm -hmm. I want them to obviously adore them and make them feel good but that's because I yeah I I don't know I love myself and I love them yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it
0: is a kind of outward I mean Mm. inward out kind of thing right? so from what you're saying it seems like you kind of see how much you love yourself Mm. through enjoying you know the experiences with others and Mm. how much you know that your inwards reflect mm. that's pretty radiates. cool yeah radiates mm. that's the word
3: um, yeah. i feel like self-love has been such a a big journey for me and i kind of i think i i did that i did have a naivety that it would sort of end at some point that i'd be like oh i'm finally in a place where <laughs> i love myself um but what i'm realizing over time is it's it's an endless journey it's an end every single day we've got to remind ourselves of 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 the love that we have to give and we can give that love to others and we can give it to ourselves I, I went I studied yoga in India in 2017 April 2017 and Actually, I think and a lot of yoga teachers will probably tell you this when they did their 200 hours. There's a, you come to this point where you just have this breakdown where I realised I and I said to, my, to myself and the friends that I was with, I don't love myself as much as I think I do. And I kind of couldn't believe that that was what I was feeling. And I just started to watch more and observe more and listen more. And for the first time in my life, I felt non-competitive. I was just appreciating what everybody else could do and going, that's great, that's them. And this is what me and my body can do. I am in a space now where I feel an overwhelming amount of self-love. Nice. And I would say that that has come through, meditation and yoga has definitely helped to calm my mind and give me space. It was like emotions and feelings, everything just came flooding through when I took time for myself. And I realized so many things about myself. Being emotional is fine. Sometimes in the sort of the shamanistic and the Buddhist teachings, you've got be this observer, be this witness. Stoic. Kind yeah, the stoic. Be And that's useful in, in, in context, but we're emotional beings that we need to release. <laughs> and like reaching out to people, even when I kind of felt like, I don't want to burden you with my shit. I don't want to put that on you. But letting go of that and saying, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm struggling and I need help. That's amazing. That's, That's amazing. super empowering
1: as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very beautiful. Like, super, and also the journey, you can see it's, it's not like a straight road, is it? You know? No, definitely
3: really? not. Something can always yeah. trigger us. We have unexpected events in our lives. And, you know, self-love is getting yourself a job when you're struggling. Self-love is taking yourself to the doctors. Mm. Self-love is, it, it can be a hot bath. After a long day, yeah. it, it can be the sort of self-care stuff as well. But ultimately, love is just doing the most loving mm. thing for for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Filling up your cup. Yeah.
5: Thank you very much yeah. for sharing thank you, you so much. on that. Thank yeah, because that's quite you know My personal thing. And thank you very
0: much. Thank you so
5: yeah. Thank, thank you, you, you so good. much for having us and covering thank the great you topics. For
3: having us. Yeah, really nice conversation. So Jared,
0: like fill us in what is Pinky Promise all about?
5: Pinky Promise uh, is officially launching uh, its first event on the 29th of February and it's taking place in a location, a secret warehouse in North London uh, which is fully accessible and we've got kind of accessibility details uh, listed on the Facebook event Um, and as I said this is something that's completely open for everyone and um, we've tried to make it as very accessible as possible in terms of the ticket pricing as well uh, we really don't want anyone to kind of be priced out from this as, and so we've also got kind of unwaged tickets as well you just have to get in touch um, but yeah it's launching and we've got a host of kind of DJs playing a uh, mix of kind of Latin and Cumbia and Afrobeats as well as lots of kind of different rooms exploring uh, from erotic storytelling as everything we've kind of discussed at the moment from dances um, and yeah we'd love to see all of you there as well yeah. as your lovely listeners yeah. as well
4: yeah
2: Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. And uh, thanks again to all the guests who shared their thoughts with us. Um, If you want to follow more of Janet's work, um, you can find out what she's up to at her website, which is www.janetwhardy.com. And to keep up with Pinky Promise, you can follow them on Instagram. That's at Pinky Promise. Keep in touch and grab your tickets while you can.
1: Also, if you were listening to the show, it's been really nice getting people's thoughts on each episode. Sometimes you guys send through really amazing points that are insightful for us. You can send us an email at info at or leave us a comment on Instagram. We're third magazine with three eyes.
0: Thank you for tuning into Third Waves. And stay tuned online at Third Magazine. <laughs> on Instagram, that's third with Three Eyes. My name's Tribe. I am
2: Rona. And I am Daniela.